Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Doesn't it kind of sound like that God had intended for this to happen all along? And the way He did this, and our ways are not His ways, right? And our thoughts are not His thoughts. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And God did this in this way for this reason, so that the fear of God would fall upon them. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Esther. While certain situations can seem rather disastrous, we often can't help but to look for meaning and purpose behind them. From simple hindsight to life lessons, we often try to grow from our challenges. In today's message, Pastor J.D. teaches us how God redeems life's biggest challenges to further His kingdom and bring glory to His name. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Esther chapter 8 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. The gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, translated, it's the same Mordecai that saved your life, O king, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. Get him out of here and hang him on it. So, verse 10, I love verse 10, you'll forgive me. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Just to remind you that he had prepared for Mordecai, then the king's wrath subsided. That's an interesting detail too. There's some typology there. We're going to talk about that before we finish this uh, book. At the beginning of our study through Esther, I made the comment that we would see God's sovereignty and providence throughout this book, even though we would not see his name mentioned, or even the name uh, or the title God is nowhere in this book, but his sovereignty and providence is everywhere throughout the book. And this is a perfect example of it. God's perfect timing in a very powerful way and at the exact moment in time. And how about that eunuch informing the king at that exact moment? Oh, by the way, king, you're having him take taken out to be put to death. Um, you probably should know something that Mordechai, that Haman built these gallows for Mordechai, and they're actually at uh, his place. <laughs> oh, how convenient! Well, then that's what we're going to do. Do you believe that God put that on the eunuch's heart to inform the king of these gallows at that moment? I do. And something else here that, and maybe I could be rightfully accused of reading too much into it, but I kind of wonder if 
they wanted to see Haman get this and what he deserved too, which tells me that uh, the eunuchs knew who this guy was, and they knew he was an evil man, and they knew what he was up to and what he was doing. This is a textbook case of God taking that which was meant for evil and working it for good for the salvation of his people. And it's not just that God does it, it's how God does it. And even when God does it, in the sense that the evil that is seemingly allowed to prosper will always serve God's end in the end. I think of Joseph. Like with Joseph before Esther, and so too is this true with us today after Esther, no plan or plot from the enemy will ever succeed against God's people. I want to share with you some passages. Uh, The first couple are out of Isaiah one I'm sure you know well is Isaiah 54, 17. It's meant for Israel, but applies to God's people because we have the New Testament equivalent of it. Isaiah says, verse 17, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Isaiah forty-five twenty-four. They will say of me, In the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. You could virtually insert Haman's name into all of these verses and it would read true. Psalm 7, verses 14 through 16. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. Boy, if that's not, if if Haman is not the poster child for Psalm 7, 14 through 16, Proverbs 26, 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. You set a trap for a man, you'll be trapped by the trap that you set. You try to roll a stone on someone, it's going to roll back on you. You want to dig a pit for Mordechai? Well, you're going to be the one that ends up in that pit, just like you're going to be the one that ends up on those gallows. Lastly, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. Listen to Solomon, what he wrote. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. And here's why. Verse 14, very interesting. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. It'll be shouted from the rooftops. Verse 1, chapter 8. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman 
the enemy of the Jews. And Mordechai came before the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. Interesting, up to this point, he did not know that Mordechai, the Jew who saved his life, is related to his queen, the love of his life. So, verse 2, the king took off his signet ring, you know, the one that he had taken off prior to put on the finger of Haman, that signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordechai, and Esther appointed Mordechai over the house of Haman. I mean, again, I, I just... Only God can do this. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. God can do anything. And here, here's the, here's again how I think, and here's the question that I think of. Let's just say hypothetically, just for purpose of speculation and discussion. Let's just say that we could somehow have been able to ask Mordechai and Esther if they would ever have believed that this would happen in this way. What if you had have been able to ask them about the time that they learned that Haman had gotten the king to issue this decree, irrevocable decree, and you would have told them, Oh, you don't have to worry about a thing. Here's how this is all going to go down. Oh, that Haman, oh, he's going to build a gallows, but he's going to, for you, Mordecai, but the king is not going to be able to sleep one night, and uh, he's going to, and then, oh, and then, and then, and then, and oh, and then it gets even better than that, because then you're going to have a banquet, and then this, that night, and then the second banquet, you're going to, and then Haman's going to be there, and you're going to point at him, and you're going to say, this is the man, and then the king is going to be so enraged, he's going to leave, and then he's going to come back in, and Haman, I don't know what he was thinking, is going to be all over you like he's trying to, you know, do something to you. And then the king's going to walk back in, and he's going to be so incensed. And then right then, God's going to have a eunuch that doesn't like Haman, really doesn't like Haman, say, by the way, king, you should probably know. And then, oh, and then the king's going to say, hang him on those gallows. And then after that, you're going to come in, and you're going to have everything in including the signet ring, Mordecai. How cool is that? And then they're looking at you going, get out of here. No way. 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 No way. Way. I was uh, thinking this last week. In fact, today, we uh, every year, it's we, we get a, a candle and a cupcake and... Uh, we celebrate our daughter Noelle's uh, birthday. She was born on December 28th. She would have been 12 years old today. And uh, she's with the Lord. And at the time that she was dying, if somebody would have come up to me and said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get pregnant again. Not me, my wife is going to get pregnant again. <laughs> and you're going to have a girl and she's going to be the, the, the joy of your life. And, uh, you know, you're going to fast forward the, the, I would have said, no way, no way. I, I can't even possibly comprehend. 
I mean, I know God can do that, but no way, no way, way. God can do anything. God can do the impossible. God is the God of the impossible. Verse 3, now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agagite and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So this might this implies that this was a separate time when she approached the king. I would imagine the king would have never, uh, after all of this, not put out the golden scepter toward her. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, Verse 5, if it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my own countrymen? So here again, we see Esther's wisdom. She waits until now before imploring the king concerning this evil edict of Haman. I really believe that God has once again given her the wisdom in the timing of this to first expose Haman and his evil because God needed to first put Esther and Mordecai in positions of authority, as we're going to see next. Verse 7, Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourself write a decree concerning the Jews as you please. This is a blank check, so to speak, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring, for whatever is written in the king's name and seal with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So, verse 9, the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is in the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And it was written, according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And, verse 10, he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring, and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred for swift steeds. Uh, There's an interesting urgency here. By these letters, verse 11, the king permitted the Jews, who were in every city, to gather together and protect their lives. (laughs) Look at this uh, irony. To destroy, kill, and annihilate. Wow, where did I hear that before? All the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, 
and to plunder their possessions. On one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. Remember that whole thing, how that came about with the poor, the casting of the poor? So that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened, and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan, the citadel. Okay, we know that the edict was irrevocable. So the king gives Mordecai and Esther complete authority to issue this new decree using the king's signet ring. I want you to notice the order in which God is moving behind the scenes with everything. See, Mordecai had to first be in this position. And notice the details that were provided concerning the timing. Uh, This gives the Jews nine months to prepare for this battle, to uh, kill, destroy, and annihilate those who were to kill, destroy, and annihilate them. And they have nine months to prepare. Verse 15, so Mordechai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews, verse 16, had light and gladness, joy and honor and In every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land, and this is interesting, became Jews. I'm in. Did you just see what happened? And we're told why. Because fear of the Jews fell upon them. This again is one of those places where you just say, you think? Kind of don't want to mess with these people. Did you just see what happened to Haman? Uh, Yeah, I'd I'd become a Jew too. Of course, I'm an Arab. I don't know if I can, but I'll try. Uh, I would uh, as a result. And this is how the chapter ends. And it ends in a most interesting way for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the rejoicing on the part of God's people. Wait a minute, don't they still face a battle, a life and death battle in nine months, and yet they're rejoicing? And they're not only full of joy and gladness, many people of the land come to the God of Israel, the God of the Jews, as a result. A couple uh, closing thoughts here. First, doesn't it kind of sound like that God had intended for this to happen all along? And the way He did this, and our ways are not His ways, right? And our thoughts are not His thoughts. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And God did this in this way for this reason, so that the fear of God would fall upon them. And 
I got to wonder, there will be a battle, and we'll see what happens. Obviously, they've already been given the victory by virtue of this new edict that is issued. But I wonder, those who did rise up against the Jews on that day, when the battle did take place, I promise you they were much fewer in number than what they would have been had this not happened. Uh, one, one final thought. To me, this speaks to how God allows trials and battles in our lives during those times, but that we can still have joy. Is this not what James talks about? And I have to confess, and we'll close with this, but I have to confess that as a young Christian, I really struggled with this uh, passage in James 1, verses 2 through 4. I just could never really get my mind around how it was ever possible. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And here's why. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What do you think this did to Esther's faith, Mordechai's faith? How about the Jews? How about those who became Jews? Going through all of this because they went through this fiery trial, as we affectionately refer to them. What God is doing, and the key word in, and this is what helped me, and maybe it'll help you too. When it comes to trials, you can have joy in the midst, pure joy, in the midst of the trial, knowing where God is going in His purpose for you to be in that trial. God is doing something. Oh, God's not just doing something. He's doing something amazing. Something you could never in your wildest imagine, imagination ever even think. He's going to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything you could have ever imagined. This is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The God of Esther and Mordechai is the God that we serve and the God that we worship and the God that we know today. And there's nothing too hard for the Lord. It may seem perilous at the time, the circumstances so complex and perplexing, but God, but God in the end works it for good. What an incredible life Esther led. Her courage and faith saved an entire nation from destruction and gives us an example to follow when life becomes a trial. In our own times of difficulty, do we turn to God or away from Him? Esther chose to seek God and we'll continue to see the results of that decision in the next edition of In Spirit and Truth. As you journey on your own path of faith, we want you to know that we're praying for you. We would like to ask if you, in turn, would intercede for us. Please pray that we keep our focus on advancing God's kingdom and that our hearts would always be open to God's leading. Please join us in praying for those who will tune in just like you to In Spirit and Truth. 
that they would be touched by their Creator and turn their lives toward Him. Thanks for joining us in this way. If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more from Pastor J.D., find us online at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click Listen at the top of the page. We have a convenient way for you to stay connected. Did you know you can take in Spirit and Truth on the go by downloading our mobile app? In our fast-paced world, it's easy to let the time we spend in the Bible go to the back of the line compared to the things we need to get done each day. When you download our mobile app, you'll have verse-by-verse studies in the Bible available right at your fingertips, available to listen to whenever and wherever you go. You'll find a link to the app at inspiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.